Thank you, John. Good morning, everyone. Wow. Good retreat, huh? Fun times with you all. If you weren't there, we missed you. Uh, something uh, that I continue to learn through life is that in order to celebrate well, and I feel like our retreat has become a really good celebration, uh, in order to be a people who have capacity for great joy and great celebration, we also need to be a community that has the capacity to grieve well and deal with pain well. Um, and uh, Friday, we once again in our nation experienced another school shooting. Uh, this one hit a little closer to home, you may not know, but this was Brian Tabor's high school. Uh, Brian Tabor, our pastor of students, went to high school there and graduated from there, and so his small town of Santa Fe has been rocked uh, by this most recent shooting. And um, he shared with me something uh, a friend of his who also graduated from this high school wrote, and uh, I'd like to, to share some of this with you. Kate, maybe we can put that candle slide back up while I read this. That'd be great, thank you. Uh, her name is Ashley L. Salby. And she says, I was part of the Santa Fe High School class of 2002. And we were so excited to move into the sprawling new campus between our sophomore and junior years. My sister and I remembered, as we grieved today, the chaotic bottleneck that happened during every passing period in the main hall, a design flaw that must have been particularly terrifying today. And so many of us, even a decade and a half later, can remember the exact spot that witnessed such horror and tragedy this morning. That wing of the school was home for all of us band nerds and bellas, for the drama kids and the ag students and artists. I can only begin to imagine the trauma that students, teachers, administrators, and first responders carry with them now, and the way those classrooms and hallways will never be the same again. Your numbness and shock will give way to grieving in the days ahead. Questions will increase, not abate. I imagine that for some, fear will threaten to imprison you. Perhaps regret will feel suffocating. This day may become the event that divides your life into before and after. Oh, sweet Santa Fe, I'm praying healing and hope over you today. Students, I'm asking God to soothe you to sleep when today's nightmare makes it seem impossible to close your eyes and to show you how to breathe and grieve and begin to process when you wake up tomorrow. Teachers and administrators and first responders, you are heroic and numb, and perhaps exhaustion and horror are setting in after the adrenaline rush that fueled your service all day today. Maybe that service will continue through the night. I pray in Jesus' name, grace upon grace, to, to uphold you and be refuge to you, as you tried to be refuge to students and parents today. Community in shock, I am praying for unity and strength and wisdom in the coming days. And I'm also praying for something else, Santa Fe. I'm praying for a specific and strong hope, a very real and true and solid story to comfort you and draw you in. I'm praying in your anguish that you find your attention turning to the gentle news of the deep love of a good God, a God who is intimately acquainted with violence and pain with suffering and brutality. Jesus called God with us. 
because he was and is willingly walked through death and is familiar with the depth of human grieving because his life and depth, death and triumph over death were all God's plan to reconcile a very broken humanity back into relationship with God. Perhaps this statement from the Bible will seem particularly relevant today. I deeply believe it, and I'm praying that some of you will find your hearts awakening to the reality of it as you read it on a day of violence and bloodshed, seemingly motivated by hatred and perhaps by pain. For we ourselves were once hated by others and hating one another, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Titus 3, verses 4 through 5. Mercy, loving kindness, salvation. In your wrestling and grieving in the coming days and months and years, perhaps also wrestle with this. Perhaps turn to him, turn to Jesus, who is God with us, and find him to be trustworthy. Find yourself reconciled to our maker, who turns out to be a good father. Find new life and freedom and healing in him. I point to it as I pray for you from far away, a fellow grieving daughter of Santa Fe. So God, we come to you once again with grieving hearts over a seemingly senseless act of violence. We pray for Santa Fe. We pray for those who lost loved ones, parents, teachers, friends, fellow students. We pray for the first responders. God, we pray for the parents of the shooter and the shooter himself who all desperately need you. We pray for healing, hope, and a new day. Thank you, God, that you are a God who grieves along with us. You are present to us. Uh, you are not distant and far away. You are as close to us as our breath. pray in the healing name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Parker Palmer says this, if the heart breaks apart, the result may be anger, depression, and disengagement. If a heart breaks open into greater capacity to hold the complexities and contradictions of human experience, the result may be new life. Uh, in situations like this and just in our own difficulties and our own pain, uh, we have the capacity to choose whether our hearts will break apart or break open, uh, whether we will uh, find a new way forward by God's grace uh, in the name of Jesus whose heart broke open for the sake of humanity, uh, did not break apart. Um, this Jesus whose heart broke open all the way 
to the cross for the sake of humanity. And uh, the, the path to the cross for Jesus came at great cost, uh, and it came at great temptation. And our text that we're looking at this morning is in Matthew chapter 4. Because Jesus had, uh, had options. Uh, Jesus could have chosen a different path rather than the path of the cross. And, and that, that temptation was offered to him at the very beginning of his ministry. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, and so th this is an interesting thing to consider, that it is the very Spirit of God that led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. Uh, that uh, it wasn't like Jesus was walking into a situation or, or a place or a context uh, that wouldn't be wise to walk into where temptation would be awaiting him. It, it is the Spirit of God who led him to the desert to be tempted. And, and we, we talk about, we have language about the Spirit of God and how uh, the Spirit leads us uh, into truth. The Spirit counsels us. The, the Spirit uh, helps us consider and discern and, and make choices in our life. It is the Spirit of God who should lead and guide us. And, and I wonder uh, how many times we actually would consider the Spirit of God as one who would lead us into the desert places uh, to fast and pray and be tempted. Uh, it is the Spirit of God who leads Jesus into the desert place, and he's there for 40 days. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture, really, of uh, 40 days looking like Israel's 40 years in the desert where they were tested and ultimately failed. Uh, where uh, the people of Israel were actually given the gift of bread, of manna from heaven, uh, and uh, still failed in the test they were given. And here Jesus, fasting for 40 days, uh, is offered to turn stones into bread and says no, chooses not to, chooses not to go the easy route. And he's in the desert, and after fasting 40 days, verse 2, and 40 nights, he was hungry, uh, like you would be. Um, so Matthew is hoping that this is, uh, I mean, if you fasted 40 days and 40 nights, would you be hungry? Uh, Matthew makes that very apparent. But something Matthew is doing here is helping us see. Uh, Matthew tells us earlier, as also was quoted by Ashley in, in this piece I read by her, that, that Jesus is God with us. And so something we, uh, I think Matthew is inviting us to understand here is even though Jesus is God with us, even though Jesus is divine, he is also fully human. He's hungry. It's not like, oh, Jesus can fast 40 days and no big deal. He's not going to be hungry because he's God. No, he's, he's also fully human. He came in the flesh to dwell among us, and Jesus is hungry. He's hungry. And so... Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is saying there, there's something even better. And it's not 
physical bread. It's every word that comes from God. And Jesus will later say, I am the bread of life. There, there is a spiritual nourishment. There is a spiritual food that has greater capacity than turning stones into bread. This, uh, this first temptation, I think, is a temptation for self-indulgence and self-preservation. It's the temptation to, to get what you want right away. It's, it's the temptation uh, to have your wants gratified rather than living out of the deep-seated need for God and all that God has to offer you. Uh, next slide. Uh, I think the false self says what it immediately wants. We are invited to look for what God says we really need and to live into who we truly are. Uh, that, that which is not the true us, not the deepest us that God created us to be, goes after what we want rather than what we need from God who is always offering us spiritual food and spiritual drink to sustain us and move us forward. Uh, I wonder for us, where in your life might you be trying to make life work for you on your own terms and your own timeline? Uh, where in life are you pursuing that which you want now rather than trusting God to provide it in God's timing. Uh, it's a tricky balance, isn't it? Because we don't want to just sit around and wait. God creates us to work. God creates us to pursue things. God creates us with passions and desire and glory and, and beautiful things to move forward and, and to take action and to make things happen. So this is where we need to trust the spirit in us and trust the community around us to speak into us because sometimes we get confused and we start pursuing things that God isn't inviting us to pursue. And we need to trust that God's timing and God's best for us is there waiting for us. And we, and we are invited to trust that there is a different way of being human and that God invites us into this way of being in our world. That's the first temptation. Verse five, second temptation. Uh, see, uh, interesting, <laughs> this, this crafty character, the devil, he, he learns rather quickly. Uh, Jesus quoted scripture, he quoted from Deuteronomy when he said it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Uh, so verse five, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Ooh. So now Satan is going to quote scripture. He says, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil comes back at Jesus quoting scripture. Uh, how, how can you debate that? Someone quotes scripture, you better believe it, right? Here, here's my thought. Holy words can be used for evil purposes. Uh, the scriptures have and will continue to be used for evil purposes. You only have to look back in history and see that war, genocide, oppression, slavery, all these things have been justified with God's word. Uh, 
maybe on a smaller scale, shaming is so often justified by quoting God's word. Uh, We can so easily shame people by quoting scripture. Uh, People who perhaps struggle with a particular sin, if you quote scripture at them, it can feel shaming. People who wrestle with depression, and when you say to them, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I'll say it, rejoice, it can be shaming. Uh, We need to be so careful how we use the scriptures. Because holy words can be used for evil purposes. May we be a people who use God's holy words always to encourage, always to uplift, always to bring healing and hope, and not to shame and not to justify actions that God abhors. Uh, The second temptation, I think it's connected to, I just want to be liked, I want to look good, popularity. Devil's saying to Jesus, look, listen, if you just cast yourself down right now and God's angels come and catch you up, everyone will know you're Messiah. And everyone will love you. Everyone will flock to you. Uh, And Jesus quotes scripture back. And he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Quoting from Deuteronomy 6. Do not put your Lord your God to the test. Um, true connection to God won't always look successful. In fact, uh, it might rarely look successful if we're truly connected to God. Uh, You look at Jesus on a cross, doesn't look like a very successful messianic campaign. Where in your life are you attempting to look good? Uh, we, we love to have a good image. We love for people to like us. Uh, we love to have our stuff all together. Uh, can we m- just make something really clear? We're all messed up. We all have baggage. We all carry around a whole bunch of stuff. And it's okay. It's okay. Because we serve a loving God who accepts us just the way we are. Doesn't mean God isn't constantly inviting us into something better. Doesn't mean that God isn't constantly inviting us to be shaped and formed more fully into the image of Christ. God's always inviting us into the best version of ourselves that he's created within us. God's always inviting us to follow Jesus more fully. But grace and mercy and peace and love is the fullness of God, and God looks at us and says, I love you just the way you are. Just the way you are. Third temptation, verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. 
All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Oh, what an offer. Everything you have made, uh, I will give you <laughs> if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This uh, third temptation is a temptation to power. Like, look, here, Jesus, here's the easy way out. I'll just give this all back to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus takes the road of suffering and the road of hardship all the way to the cross. And do you remember what Jesus says to his disciples, his parting words to his disciples as he's ascending to the Father? Jesus says, all power and authority has been given to me because he went the hard way through the cross and the power of resurrection. And what does Jesus do with power? He gives it away. All power and authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. Tell them everything I've been teaching. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus gives power to his disciples and says, now you go and do likewise. And Jesus always uses power for good. And he invites us, whatever level of power we have, we're invited to use for good. Jesus never abuses power. We should never abuse power. We're given power for good, to bring good, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring love into a broken and hurting world. Jesus knows his identity is not wrapped up in what he has or what he can accomplish. God loves us not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God created and redeemed us in love. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen. He says, power offers an easy substitute to the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God, easier to control people than to love people, easier to win life than to love life. So I wonder this, what are you being offered? What, what if we asked ourselves, is it worth it? Is it worth it to have the power to have your way, to indulge yourself, and in the process lose your very self? Uh, there is a different way of living, a different way of being that Jesus invites us into. And if we choose the temptations, that distract us from who God created us to be, it, it will be giving up our very self, the person God created us to be. Uh, so three temptations, uh, self-indulgence, popularity, power. Uh, here's the thing. There's a temptation behind the temptations. There always is. And if we are aware, if we prayerfully consider, if we dig deep enough, we can get at the root. There is a temptation behind the temptations. 
And, and here's what I think it is. If we go back a few verses to verse 13 of John, uh, Matthew 3, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So Jesus is baptized, and the Father speaks from heaven, That's my boy. I love him, and I am pleased with him. Jesus had just had his identity confirmed by the Father in heaven. And how does the tempter come to him? First temptation. If you are the Son of God. The devil knew where to come after Jesus and it was right at the core of his identity. The father had just said, you are my son. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. Devil comes and says, really? Okay. If you are the son of God, prove it. Prove it. Turn these stones into bread. Second temptation. Verse 6. If you are the son of God, twice he comes right after Jesus's identity. The temptation behind the temptations is questioning our very identity. And so much of our brokenness, so much of our failures, so much of our uh, unhealthy patterns of living come out of not believing God about who we truly are. If we don't believe we are God's children, we won't live like God's children. God invites us to live as God's children. We shouldn't be surprised that after Jesus' great moment of vision, when his sense of God's calling and love was so dramatically confirmed, that he then had to face temptations and recognize them for what they are. I believe we too are invited when temptations come to call them out and recognize them for what they are. They are a distraction. They are a way of attempting to distract us from living into who we truly are as God's children. And if we can be aware of it, if we can name it, if we can call it out the way Jesus did, we will live into the people God created us to be rather than living out of brokenness, out of pain, out of heartache. Uh, God invites us into this way of being where he says, you are my children. Uh, can we skip down to the text, First uh, John 3, 1? John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are.
what would it look like if we really believed this? What would it look like if we really lived into this? Um, there, there's different ways of reading this text uh, about temptations. Uh, you can read it and we can talk about the temptation of gratifying the self, uh, the temptation to look good and want everybody to like us, uh, the temptation to have power and control and manipulate, uh, and, and we can walk out uh, feeling really bad about ourselves and feeling shamed, frankly. Or we can read it and say, oh, there, there is a different way of reading this. There is a recognition that God had spoken clearly to Jesus and said, you are my son. And Jesus knew who he was. And because he knew who he was, he overcame temptation. And we can read this and this and say, I know who I am. And I will no longer live out of guilt or shame. But by God's grace, I will continue to pursue that which is who I really am. And so uh, th this teaching would be a complete and utter failure if you walk out of here feeling bad about yourself. It would be a complete and utter failure if you walk out of here with a list of to-dos, a, a list of what you need to do to be a better person. My dream is that you walk out of here having a deeper sense of who you are. God's child. Born for greatness. Born to live into this story that God has invited us into. Uh, created to live with hope and love, and beauty. And, and when you mess up, because remember, we're all messed up. When you mess up, to not live with shame, but to learn from it, and to continue to grow into that person God created you to be. And to recognize that, that the temptations are all distractions from that which God created us to be. They are temptations to move us aside from living in such a way that it will bring hope, it'll bring healing, it'll bring love into our world. Uh, that the opportunity we have is to walk the path of Jesus, and it's the hard path of the cross. It's the path of servanthood. It's the path not of self-indulgence, but of self-giving love. Uh, Jesus exhibits this over and over and over again for us. And, and we're invited into this way of being fully human as Jesus is fully human. And we're invited into this way of divinity as people who are created in God's image. God who is self-giving gave his only son for the sake of the world. The son who gave his life for the sake of the world. It is this Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it 
in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. This morning, as you come and you take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, I pray and I hope that you'll have a deeper, more grounding sense of your identity in Christ than ever before, that you'll, you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you, within you, and over you than ever before, that, that you will have a deeper sense that you are God's child, and that God is the most benevolent, loving parent you could ever imagine. God, thank you. Thank you for your love, for your grace. God, thank you for Jesus, who knew who he was because he heard your voice, who overcame temptation because he knew his true vocation. God, I pray that you will empower us by your spirit more than ever to live as the people you created us to be, that we'd have a deeper sense of your love and your calling on our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.